Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Joseph Piscara with us. Now, educational theory is only as valuable as the firsthand experiences it is built upon. As a teacher in the New York City Department of Education, Joe Piscara was afforded experiences that made him stronger as a teacher, an educational leader, and as an individual. These diverse experiences provided Joe with the first-hand experience that opened his eyes to the importance of strong leadership in establishing a successful school culture and community. Currently, as a second-year educational leader on Long Island, Joe is learning to navigate suburban education while ensuring instruction is rigorous and relevant to the classroom. Joe is looking to be a voice for the next generation of school leaders whose experience will be markedly different than those of their predecessors. In his current position at Oyster Bay East Norwich Central School District, he is fortunate to have colleagues who serve as think partners and a central administration who support him every step of the way. He is also thankful for the opportunity to have studied at great institutions of higher education, including Marist College, Stony Brook University, and Hunter College. Most importantly, Joe has a supporting family, including two children and a wife who is a teacher. She is not only incredibly supportive and understanding, but is also able to provide feedback and advice in all situations. So welcome, Joseph Pescara. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so Joseph, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Sure. I mean... There's never been another profession I've wanted to be part of since the seventh grade. I've wanted to be part of education in some way, shape, or form, and and really always for me was to become a teacher. Oh wow! Uh, I had a really seventh grade. Seventh grade, I had a super inspiring social studies teacher. He was not just giving me information about social studies, but teaching me life lessons. And I kind of wanted to turn key that to the next generation of students. And starting in seventh grade, I knew that was my passion. I never second-guessed myself. I went to college for teaching. And when I got to my first full-time position in the New York City Department of Education, it was a great experience, but at the same time, it was something that made me think a lot. I was in a failing school in Manhattan that was deemed ready to close. People were trying very hard with students who were coming from all over the five boroughs and they didn't really appreciate or value their teachers. Mm. There was no communication. It was always an I gotcha kind of attitude. People weren't treated fairly. And being a young teacher, I tried to make the most of it. I imagine oh. that must have been disheartening as well. 
I mean, it was super disheartening, and, and I was questioning, is this what I really want to be you know, investing the rest of my life in? But at the same time, when the classroom door closed, I loved what I did, and those kids were the best, and, and I still you know, keep contact with a few of them. And so I realized that you know, the problem was not the kids. That's always an easy thing for people to say is the dynamic with the students and this and that. It mostly is not, mm-hmm. and that's what I saw in the school. It was the administration – and their the leadership or lack of leadership? The, the lack of leadership. And, and I guess that's the nicest way to put it is they were not supportive in any way. And if you can't support your staff, then the staff is not going to support the children the right way. And I think that was really my big takeaway. Seeing good people get defeated and leave the profession made me realize that if I someday want to become a leader, I need to realize how I treat people of the utmost importance because right. – at the end of the day, we're in the business of, of treating people the right way, and I think that that goes a long way further than any educational theory and strategies in the classroom is you got to treat people the right way. You're um, absolutely right. And from there, I moved to the South Bronx in a high-performing school South district. South Bronx, that's where South I'm Bronx. from. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Great school, very high-performing. There wasn't a screen school, so you had students coming in at all levels. And you know, right away, I could tell the difference between mm. the two schools. And it had nothing to do with the kids. Hmm. It had to do with the supports in place. It had to do with the leaders. It had to do with the administration. It had to do with a clear system of values, a clear system of norms. It was just easy to see where this school was strong compared to the other school. And the difference was the leadership. Mm -hmm. There was very clear expectations. There were clear support systems. They wanted you to succeed observations were not an I gotcha. They were a way to strengthen your pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And I think as a young teacher, I was in my fourth year at that time, getting those supports and not feeling like when an administrator came in the room that you did something wrong, it was really important. And that's where I really strengthened and honed my skills. As time progressed, I became a grade team leader, a department coordinator, and eventually became a New York City Department of Education model teacher. That's where I started to at least have some leadership experience. Mm-hmm. It was kind of nice because it's a pseudo leadership position. You're still in the classroom. You're not an administrator, but you get to kind of lead your department and have some say in things. And it was nice to kind of get together with my colleagues in the department and just be able to talk about things. From there, a few years ago, I was part of the uh, Chancellor's Teacher Advisory Group, mm-hmm. uh, where I met uh, once a month with Chancellor Farina in the city. That's when I really started to like talking about ways to change the system. Hmm. You start to see some light, right? Yeah, I did. I think because of my experiences, I was able to see there are ways to fix things. It's Mm -hmm. not an endless cycle of failure. You know, through that, I had enough ideas and enough confidence in what I had seen to really try to help establish some change in the city. I think many schools in the city do a really great job of distributive leadership. And because of that, I had the opportunity to have, like I said, pseudo-administrative roles Mm -hmm. where I got to experience leadership even though I wasn't yet a leader or entitled. And that's interesting because I have had many opportunities to be in front of teachers and in presenting leadership, one of the questions I ask is how many of you are leaders? And most educators don't think of themselves as leaders, yet they lead the future which is, to me, probably the most important leadership position in the school. I think there needs to be a shift somewhere. 100% agree. And I think a lot of that comes from how willing the administration is in a building to 
let go a little bit. Empower. And, empower. And trust that these professionals have the tools to do what they do best, which right. nine times out of ten they do. Mm-hmm. And they want to, which is right. really cool. Absolutely. So what are you doing now? I am the district supervisor for social studies, career services, and career technology at Oyster Bay. Well, congratulations. How's it going there? It's going great. It was a tough shift because Mm -hmm. uh, last year was the first year I was not in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think if you ask any administrator what their toughest year is, it's the first year. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you hear is it's tough to be out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. You want to be in there. You feel like you lose a little bit of the relationship with the kids. So building relationships with the students. That was kind of an important thing to me. And once I got that a little bit under control, I think starting to adjust. Right. And so now you have to build relationships with the adults. Right. So how would you describe your leadership style? I'd like to think of it as transformational and combines a little bit of everything. I think first and foremost, I focus on developing a shared sense of purpose or vision and I think, you know, coming in as a first-year administrator, before you talk anything, I think the first thing you want to do is make sure people see what your goal is, mm-hmm. what you think things should look like, and you should also hear what they want things to look like. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to come into a situation where we all had the same vision. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, I got lucky. There was no quote-unquote sell. It was just a matter of starting to brainstorm some ideas to move our department forward. You know, it's a lot easier when you have that collaborative approach. I'm involved with everything. I communicate with every single one of my teachers every day at some point in the day, even if it's just to check in and see how they're doing. I think that's a really important thing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I want them to make decisions and then me to drive their vision forward, right? Correct. Anytime where I can just kind of be the supportive role, which is most of the time, that's, I think, the best way. It seems like you've supported a good team. So what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? I mean, I think that is the most crucial aspect of any leader is having a good team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't think I realized it as much until I really became an administrator, just how important the hiring process is. Mm -hmm. Because when you're hiring someone, that's quite an investment. And it's an investment in which you are going to work with that person for a long time. So you want to make sure they have the skill set to succeed. In our profession, you don't always get to choose your team. And sometimes you inherit that team. Right. You know, like I said, luckily for me, I inherited a really top-notch team. You make sure to give them a spot at the table to be critical thinkers. I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I don't have any yes men. People are willing to push back. And I think that sometimes as a young administrator, the pushback makes you think you're not doing things right. I would look at it to the contrary, that Mm -hmm. if people are pushing back, they feel comfortable expressing what they think is the right path. And I think that when the teachers in my department started to push back, I felt like they had kind of began to trust me. Another thing is just to leverage people's strengths. You never want to put anybody in a position where they're going to fail. And not everyone has the same strengths, but always to acknowledge what people's strengths are and provide them with the opportunities to build upon that. And, you know, last but not least, I think making sure that within that team, everyone has a role. For me, it's a rather small department, so it's very easy to make sure everyone has a role. I'm sure with larger departments, that's a little bit more difficult, but just making sure everyone feels valued and that they have a place within that team. Joseph, I'm pretty impressed because you've mentioned some things that are 
really higher level leadership. The fact that you embrace people pushing back says to me that you're confident about who you are and also value their opinion and their thoughts. Leveraging to me, that's incredibly important because not one of us is as smart as all of us, right? Sure. And, and how you value people because you see their role is really important. So I want to honor you because those are things that are really incredibly important in leadership, which also says to me that you've either been mentored or coached and that you value that as well. How important it- is that in leadership? Mentoring is the most important. I don't think there's anything more important than that. And in the Bronx, I had countless mentors for different aspects. I had those who mentored me on the leadership aspect, the budgeting aspect. So I was lucky enough to have five or six people I could really tap into for different things. And, you know, the principal who took me under his wing and gave me all these leadership traits. And I think the big thing that he taught me was you're never going to get that far alone. Mm. And you really need to make sure you're listening to everyone in the room. You really need to make sure you don't speak until you hear everyone else's ideas. And I think I took that to heart because in the Bronx, I was lucky enough to have a principal who went on the balcony from time to time. He let us do our thing and he let us kind of make some mistakes as long as they weren't detrimental to the students. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really important thing as a pseudo administrator was to be able to make those mistakes and then have him come in and say, hey, Here's a way you could have done it a little bit better, and here's something to think about for next time. That goes with that idea of the growth mindset. Never take a mistake as something that has no value. Every time I made a mistake as a leader in the Bronx, I would chart and write down in my journal, here's what I did wrong, and here's how I will do it next time. And I think that's really important. Okay. I also want to say that mentors will show up. People will speak into our lives. But what matters is how you receive that. And so I want to honor you because you've been growing tremendously. Thank you so much for pouring into us. Thank you. Okay. So, Joseph, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? I know a lot of people are really big with quotes. I don't know if that's really my strong suit. I don't have too many quotes, but there is one. I minored in psychology in college, and I think Carl Jung had a quote that I always found so inspiring, Mm -hmm. and I think it applies so well to leadership. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. And Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, leaders need to be able to lead by example. They don't just talk the talk. They truly need to walk the walk. We tell teachers that students notice everything inside the classroom, and by the same token, teachers notice everything that we do. Yes. (laughs) And it's very true. This means, you know, any sort of promises you make, you need to follow through. In my first year here, that was something that a lot of people appreciated. Whenever I had a conversation with someone, I would follow through, mm-hmm. whether it be through an email or whatnot. Our conversations were valued. Providing feedback in a timely manner, ensuring instructional supports are readily available to teachers. And I think this all goes back to that quote. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Right. And that speaks to integrity. And that's incredibly important because I imagine that you do the same thing, right? You look for leaders who honor their word. And when they don't, it just loses power. A hundred percent. And I think if you're in a position where you're an educational leader, you're intelligent. There's no doubt about it. And you could speak theory all day. But do you follow through with what you say you are going to follow through with? Right. So, Joseph, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I want to see a leader 
who is never happy with what they have. They are always looking to get – no, I didn't mean happy in that way. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear. Someone <laughs> who never settles for good. Awesome. I think we always want the best for our students, and we should always want the best for our students. Mm-hmm. If we expect every student to do their absolute best, then we must do our absolute best. And I want to see a leader who does their best, and that's what inspires me as someone who never is happy with okay or good. Hates mediocrity. Mediocrity is the worst. I'm inspired by leaders who are prepared, intelligent, and flexible. Someone who has the core values to do their job. However, they're always looking for other ideas and they're always listening to people. And my big thing when I get into a meeting is I always like to listen first. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm in a meeting with others where people are listening before they're speaking, I think that's a good sign of someone who is a leader, not someone who just wants to take control. When I'm speaking to someone and they're actually listening to what I have to say, that to me is a sign of a good leader. Mm-hmm. Great. So can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I ever received, selfish motives have no place in education. Mm, Love that. So often I think people kind of look out for themselves, and I'm not saying about this in education, but in a lot of positions. And in our profession, if you have selfish motives, you're forgetting about the most important thing, which is the kids. And I think anytime you can make sure that the kids are number one, you're doing a good job. And I think that's really important. Another good piece of advice I got, especially when I was kind of downtrodden as a teacher, is always focus on the bright spots. I think as teachers and as leaders, we just naturally want to focus on the wrong in what we do. And I think sometimes we fail to look at all the good we do. I think it's important to always... At the end of a lesson, when you reflect on it, or at the end of a meeting and you reflect on it, you don't just reflect on what went wrong. You reflect on the good things, the Mm -hmm. things that went well. And I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. You know, I think that's great advice in general, because even outside of education, in our own lives, we have that negative self-talk. I know for me, I have to set my mind every single day to look at the positive things in life. So that's incredibly important. Thank you so much for that. Now, Joseph, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? My first two years in Manhattan was the biggest challenge in terms of my professional career. Being a relatively new teacher and being in a situation where I had no supports. I was hired the day before school started and I was thrown in a classroom and I wasn't even told what I was teaching until two days into the school year. You know, there was no communication. Oh and I, I was wondering to myself, is this what teaching's really about? And I remember my first week, at the end of the week, I went home and I, I thought to myself, can I do this? Is this for me? And I kind of just talked myself up a little bit and I went back on that Monday and some of the kids started to really open up to me. And I think that's when I realized this isn't a great situation but I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to take mental notes and notes in my journal, and I'm going to make sure that this is something that in the end benefits me. And I think those two years, I saw people get treated terribly. And when teachers get treated terribly, that Mm -hmm. means the students aren't getting treated very well either because you know it's a slippery slope. Just knowing that from that terrible situation, I was able to kind of change my view on how I would move forward in education. You know, one of the things that I'm starting to do, Joseph, is I'm starting to write down character traits that I hear in my guests. So if you don't mind, can I go through some of the things that I'm hearing about your character as a leader? Sure. You are very resilient. 
coming from that background and what you've experienced and the fact that you're still here shows me that you're resilient and also the word that comes up for me for you is grit because, <laughs> Good word. because having started in a place like that if you can survive there you can survive anywhere you occur to me as a humble person because you receive and have received so much input from your mentors and your coaches you're a learner you're visionary and you're compassionate. So I want to honor you for all those things. Thank and I'm you. sure as you keep talking, I'll just keep writing. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Thank you. So Joseph, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? I don't know if I could say one for this. I think I have two. I think the first one isn't really professional, but it has to do with it. It's the birth of my two children. And the reason is twofold. Mm-hmm. Work used to be my everything before I had children. Even after I got married, I'd work nonstop every day, probably much to my wife's dismay, mm-hmm. even over the summer. Having children kind of forced me to reevaluate things and to reassess and to realize just because I was working a lot didn't mean I was always so productive. And then the second thing, which I think is even more important, is it really allowed me to easily see where parents are coming from. When, yes. they, when they call about their children. That's true. It, it's very true. And it's so easy for me now to talk to parents because I just put myself in their mm-hmm. shoes. And it's easier to take into account a group of stakeholders like parents when you share the values with them. And I think every parent is the same. They want what's best for their kid. And I'm never upset when a parent calls here, even when they make a wild request. It's because they want what's best for their kid. And you can't fault someone for that. So I think Having children was a success in terms of making me reevaluate my life. And more of a professional one was when I was in the Bronx, my third and fourth year, the kids were doing great. Their scores in the regions were wonderful. Passing rates were high. No one failed, blah, blah, blah. But it just didn't feel right. I felt like I was teaching to a test, which was something I always told myself I wouldn't do. So I changed that. And I flipped my classroom. They began doing all the notes and whatnot at home. I recorded uh, YouTube videos for every day of class. They went home. They took notes. And at the end of the video, what they would do is they would develop a discussion question to bring into the next day for class. And what our class really became was more of a discussion-based lecture uh, where I would kind of chime in, but they would be having real authentic conversations on the material. So what grade level was this? This was juniors. So what you would do is you would give them homework, and the homework would be to watch a presentation that you've created. Yeah. And when I said I was going to do this, other teachers said that there's no way this is going to work. Our kids don't do homework, which is true. They didn't do homework. They're not going to do it. And I said, well, why don't we give it a shot? It was a novelty. It was something new. Plus, they could do it on their phone because they could watch the YouTube on the phone. You know, they were taking a bus home. So, you know, it took them a while to get home. And what I saw was about 90% completion of most of the homeworks and real authentic conversations happening in class. And when I started this, when I talked to my assistant principal, he said, is this going to change our region scores? Because at the end of the day, that's sadly kind of how things are evaluated. And I was fairly confident that they wouldn't, but there was part of me that was concerned. At the end of the year, the scores didn't go down and the mastering increased. So what really happened was, at least in my opinion, was you know students were really taking ownership of the material. And the reason I find that so important is because I can really speak to that now when I speak to my teachers about ways to think outside the box 
Yeah. I wrote some other things down about you as a leader. So creative. And it's right on target because you thought about what attracts them. This generation really, <laughs> you know, they're about looking at their phones and videos yeah. and musically right. and Snapchat and all those yep. things. And if we can use that technology to engage them, then we're learning as well. So I think that's pretty creative. So, Joseph, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? This one's very easy for me because I experienced it firsthand. I think the thing is take lessons, make the best of it, and eventually you'll find something that better suits your strengths and your desires. But while you're there, I think this is part of the growth mindset, not just turning off when you're in a bad situation, Mm -hmm. saying things like this job is awful, I can't learn anything here. On the contrary, you can learn plenty. Mm -hmm. And you could start journaling or taking mental notes of all the concerns you have about the climate and culture. And when the opportunity arises for you to pursue other opportunities, you can reflect on those experiences and make sure that the climate and culture you help build in your new position is more conducive to efficient work. And I think that's really important is make the best out of every situation, even if it's a really tough one. Right. And we can certainly learn from situations we perceive as negative. And I am in total agreement with you because at the very least, we can learn how not to be. Okay. So Joseph, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I think it's pretty simple. Not a day goes by where you're not learning something. For me, journaling is a good way to make sure that I'm not only learning something, but that I'm taking it and I'm going to reflect on it. Mm -hmm. Because you can learn things and then 20 minutes later, you have another task to take care of, and it slips out of your head. So I like to make sure that I'm always journaling, and I do it electronically through OneNote. I'm enrolled to begin my doctoral work in the fall. Congratulations. So, thank you. And I know that's something that's going to be a challenge, and I'm really excited to dig into that and learn more. And I try to read as much as possible, but with a three-year-old and a one-year-old, that's become really difficult. So what I've learned to do is, and this was something I never had done before, I use Audible. I do a lot of reading in the car during my commute, and I also listen to a lot of podcasts. Yes. Uh, We love podcasts. (laughs) We do love podcasts. (laughs) I've learned a ton of valuable stuff through podcasts and just different ways of thinking about things. So that's really where I'm at. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Now, If there were something you could change in education in the U.S., what would that be? An end to over-testing. I'm sure most administrators or most leaders or most teachers and most everyone feels that way. I think truly to try to move students towards an inquiry-based learning where they're really thinking critically. I think we have a very outdated educational model in a lot of ways, and we can change that. I really hope that begins to happen. And then the other thing, and I think this is tough with higher education, but more of an emphasis on the value of learning and less of an emphasis on the value of a grade. I know some schools are starting to think about standards-based grading, and I think that's commendable because what we really want to do is make sure our students are learning and that they're taking pride in their learning and that they have a desire to learn, not just to get a 95 on a paper. So anytime we can kind of move towards that, I think it would be beneficial. So what have you read or listened to that our listeners should read (laughs) and why? As a new leader, when I was a department coordinator in New York City, I was getting really frustrated because I thought I was proposing all these great initiatives, and no one seemed to be that interested. Nothing was changing. I was young, and I was convinced that it was really simple to bring about change, that I could just go in there and smooth talk my way to change. Someone recommended that I read the book Switch by uh, Chip and Dan Heath, and it changed my perspective on leadership because 
it made me realize how specific you have to be when you want to bring about change. It taught me to really value the importance of small wins, to have very clear communication, and to make sure there's supports at every step in order to bring about change. There's a lot that I learned from that book, and I think at the end of the day, what my takeaway was, was clarity is so key as a leader. Mm -hmm. You can't be giving half the story. You can't be picking and choosing what you tell people, what you tell your staff. It's got to be the whole thing. You have to be very, very clear with everything you say and everything you expect. Okay, so switch. Switch, and then I have one other that I actually just listened to on Audible um, a few months ago, Most Likely to Succeed by Tony Wagner and Ted Dintersmith. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very interesting perspective on the teaching habits in America. You know, reading this book furthered my belief that students should be involved in more hands-on critical thinking activities, that a lot of our educational system is based on kind of outdated needs. And the reason I find that so valuable is because in the social studies world, when I see our students doing inquiry-based assignments, I see a higher level of excitement and a higher level of understanding. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we start to think about ways to shift towards that more innovative approach. And back to something you mentioned. This is a different generation. It's a technology generation. That's not going away. So we can say, turn your cell phones off, put them away. That's not happening. So we need to embrace it and we need to find ways to make them use that in a positive way rather than just for entertainment value, but also for academic value. I completely agree. I have a 14-year-old and I have to shift my thinking all the time. (laughs) So Joseph, what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for the responsibilities you have? Not enough. That's the honest answer. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to turn things off. My mm-hmm. mind's always working, so I'm working on that. Mm-hmm. I feel like in order to be completely effective at what you do, you need to have times where you really shut it down. Right. And you need to be able to kind of remove yourself from your work, spend time with family. And I have a real terrible habit of checking my email every five minutes. So, you know, when we're at the dinner table, phones are away so that once in a while I could take a step back. And I think mindfulness is something I need to work on. You're not the only one. So I do encourage you to tune into Corey Mascara's interview that I did with him. Amazing person who really is exceptional when it comes to mindfulness. And also Elon Gepner. I recently interviewed him. So you can tune into that. He's got a great story. So yeah, any tips (laughs) I can get, I'll I'll take at this point. (laughs) Great. Joseph, if you can go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I think the big thing is never look at an event or a situation as being useless. Never view anything as a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Always take something out of everything. And I think early on in my career, I found a lot of things as useless, or at least in my mind, they were useless. And I regret that because I think looking back at it, I could have taken things out of that that would have made me a stronger leader. But I viewed it as something that wasn't important. And because of that, I was compliant with things I had to be compliant with, but I didn't really take anything out of it. So you didn't make the most of that situation? No, absolutely did not. And and I I regret that. (laughs) Right. But what's really wonderful is that you're doing that now. And you're really helping our listeners to be mindful of that. So we really appreciate that. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't discussed? The only thing I think that I'd like to share is something we kind of touched on earlier is we're all educational leaders in one way or another, and you don't have to have a title to be a leader. As long as you're doing things that are furthering the district and that are benefiting the students in any way, you're a leader in some way or another. And I think too often teachers view administration as a hierarchy when in reality, I think we can all learn from each other. Right. And, you know, one of the greatest things about working here 
in Oyster Bay is my teachers. I guarantee you I've learned more from them this past year than they've learned from me, and I'm not just saying that. So it's nice when you have a really open setup like that where everyone learns from everyone. I've written down some other words, okay? So before (laughs) we close, let me just read them. You occur as a thoughtful person. You also think the best of other people. You're a risk taker, reflective, and authentic. So those are things that jump out at me about you. Thank you. (laughs) And Joseph, I want to thank you so much for pouring into me and into our listeners. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. And although it's been around for centuries, coaching to develop effective leadership skills is fairly new to education and grossly underutilized. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.